2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. The title of the message is Grace to Sow. Grace to Sow. Paul is writing, and he says, Now I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Verse 8, And God is made able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, He scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will, multi- will, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11. And you will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. Lord, help as we study. Four things about which I'd like to bring out in this passage. One, the responsibility to plant. Two, the, the attitude at which we need to come at this, and, and it needs to be one that is not forced, not, not coerced. Three, how God wants to produce profuse grace in your life. And four, what it looks like to have parental priorities and provision. Let's talk about planting. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth trying to help them understand how important it is for them to give right, how they give. Not just what they give, but how they give. Now, in the prior chapter, in the prior verses of this chapter, he's articulated how important it is for them to fulfill their responsibility and, and finish what they started. They had begun to give to the church at Jerusalem, but somehow or another they stopped, and now the money they had set aside for the church in Jerusalem, which was going through some very difficult times, the church in Jerusalem was going through somewhat of a famine, that money was beginning to, to look good to them again. And they were thinking, why do we give this again? Let's just use it for whatever we desired. And so covetousness was setting in. Covetousness is that which desires something that is someone else's. They had already dedicated that money to Jerusalem, and now they were thinking, maybe we could use it for ourselves. And Paul was doing what he could to try to help them understand that's not proper. And what the church at Corinth was waiting on was for somebody from Paul's team to come and pick up the offering and then carry it to Jerusalem. And that person was on their way, but they had not yet appeared. And so now, after talking about the responsibility to give, he talks about the how they should give. And he says, first of all, you need to make sure that when you give, that you understand that there is a principle in effect, that if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. And if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Now, unfortunately, There are some folks who have taken this passage and kind of interpreted it to be something that is akin to a financial plan where you actually invest in the kingdom and then you get a return. And they've used this principle as kind of a a way to make money and make themselves enriched. That is not the motivation by which we give it all. Yet God realizes this. People who give a lot... And a lot is not measured by how much, but how. We're not talking how many zeros are after the the comma, not the period. (laughs) The comma, how many zeros are after the comma. We're not talking about how many zeros are after the comma. We're talking about what's in your heart. 
and how you give, not how much you give. And so he says, it's important for you to make sure that you understand that the Father works by some principles. And though they don't have anything to do with the principles that somebody would give you with respect to financial investment, they do involve God desiring to bless people who give. Why? Because those who are good stewards with their resources, meaning those people who desire to give to the kingdom in an, in an unusual way, happen to have stewarded the things that God has given them well. And then God says, well, you've done so, so good at that, I'm going to give you more. Because I know that when I give you more, you will give more. So he realizes who those are, who those people are that choose to, to prioritize his work well, and he decides to give resources back to them. What is it that Jesus said regarding the, the man who was uh, a rich uh, uh, owner, a, a master, and he had gone away on a trip and he left three guys in charge uh, of his resources? One he gave one talent, another guy he gave two, another guy gave five. The guy he gave five made five more in the master's absence. The guy he gave two made two more in the master's absence. The guy he gave one was so fearful of the master when he returned that he decided to bury it in the ground. And as a result, he got in trouble because when the master returned, he asked for settling of accounts. And the guy who had five said, master, I've made you five more. The master said, fabulous. Enter into the joy of your master. Good job. Well done. The guy who had two made two more. Great, enter into the joy of your master. Well done. The guy who had one said, Master, I knew you were hard. Taxing man. Then if I lost it, you really would have gotten after me. So I buried it in the ground, dug it up, and here is your talent. Now, a talent represented 100 pounds of anything. It didn't have anything to do with how well you could sing. It was a unit of measure. Here is your talent. I have it as you gave it to me. The master said to the guy who buried it in the ground and gave it back to him, he said, you wicked and lazy servant. You could have at least put this in the bank. What I'm going to do is take it away from you and give it to the guy who had five. What did he do? He took that, which was not stewarded well, and gave it to the guy who had stewarded it really well. Why? Because he realized, boy, you're more interested in bringing benefit to my kingdom than anybody I know. So I'm going to make sure that you get as much as you can back. The reason God does that is because he wants to bring in increase to his kingdom. Now, the way people have interpreted this is somehow that God wants to make you rich. And listen, if, if you give so well that you're able to buy a boat, I ain't mad at you. Take me out. <laughs> Let me get on your boat. I do not, I, if you want to buy nice things, I'm happy for you. And we're going to get into how God provides in a minute. But the primary reason he has chosen to bless you is because he wants you to distribute to his kingdom. And if we get it twisted, then we can make the gospel something that is supposed to enrich us, which is never the motivation because everything about the gospel is sacrifice. Everything about the gospel is sacrifice. It's laying down whatever you've got in order to benefit somebody else. Everything. You ought to consider it a great privilege to be able to have the resources that you can give. And when you give a lot, God says, I'm going to return that back to you. Now, he uses an agrarian term so people would understand exactly how this thing works. You sow a little, farmer knows if I sow a few seeds, I'm only going to get a little crop back. But if I sow a lot of seeds, I'm going to get a lot of crop back. 
There is a crop that God wants you, you to harvest that is above that which you could harvest on your own. Naturally, it should not produce what it's going to give back to you because God adds his grace to it, as we're going to see in a minute. But when you sow abundantly, you will reap abundantly so that you can abundantly sow. So you can abundantly reap. So you can abundantly sow. It's a beautiful cycle out of which you pray you never get. You don't want to leave that moment because you keep getting so you can give. You ought to have a trail of stuff and money that has been, been planted in the ground. Cynthia and I got a couple of cars. We just gave away. We're not talking about 15-year-old cars with 220,000 miles. You can't, you can't pay, pay tow truck to take those. I'm talking about cars that really were nice. Somebody else needed it. We gave them away. Did we need it? Yep. It, it, really, it really doesn't mean much in terms of sacrifice if it doesn't cost you anything. You ought to, to feel it a little bit. You ought to feel it a little bit. Now, it doesn't mean that the benefit that is given to the other party is not received by way of God saying, I'm going to bless you because you gave, even if it doesn't hurt. But there are times when you ought to feel it if you really want to understand what sacrifice means. You give abundantly, and you'll get back abundantly so you can give abundantly. And then he talks about how you ought to give, that there ought to be some purpose. There ought to be a purpose when you come into the moment of giving. And you ought not to do it begrudgingly. You ought not have an attitude when it's time to give. Now, some of y'all are saying, I knew it. I knew it. You go to church, the pastor talk about money. I knew it. See, see? And you're now hitting somebody in the ribs saying, see, see, I told you. All they talk about is money. All they talk about is money. First of all, I don't apologize for talking about money because nobody here is getting rich. We use our resources well. We send out a financial report every year. We build orphanages for kids in Africa and India. We provide for kids at Yorktown Elementary in Manassas. We've adopted almost the entire school. The principal loves us there. We hold activities for kids at 7 a.m. to which the kids come and the parents come. We had, we had 270 people at 7 a.m. last week watching their kids play soccer and football, listening to the gospel. We give and give and give, and 20% of our resources go out from us. 20% of our resources go away from us. Giving. We understand what it means to be responsible with resources, and so I don't mind talking about money because nobody here is trying to get rich. Now, this church provides for me well, but my children eat all my food. They take all my money. I ain't got no money. I ain't got no money. I'm just being real with you. I got seven people that are always asking. <laughs> so when the time comes for the offering, my hope would be you wouldn't say, shoot, here we go again. That's a begrudging attitude. Now, even if you give with a begrudging attitude, we'll take your money. 
I'll take your money. But there will be no benefit back to you. And I don't ever want you to give like that. He says, I want you to, Paul says, I want you to give with a cheerful heart. Do not give under compulsion. I got to do it. But give with a cheerfulness. The word cheer actually is the word hilaros in Greek, which is where we get the word hilarity. Something that's amazingly joyful. And this is one of the reasons that we clap whenever it's time for the offering. And somebody says, time to take an offering. Woo! Why? Because we intentionally militate against selfishness. We won't let our soul gravitate toward this direction of saying, oh, no, not again. We are telling our soul we're going to get happy, and we've anticipated this moment all week. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to disperse your resources. I'm going to say that again. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to disperse your resources because whatever you have is his. I know your name is on your bank account, but it's God's money. He owns your car. He owns your house. It's all his. As soon as you begin to think that your money is yours, you're thinking wrong. You've already entered into covetousness because it's all God's. Tithing is an important part of our obedience to God from my perspective. It's something that you have to do. We're not talking about have to. We're talking about get to. When Abraham came back from defeating five kings, five kings, with 318 men trained in his house, and he had to rescue Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah from these kings that had taken them captive. And Lot happened to be Abraham's nephew. And he, he couldn't he couldn't not rescue Lot. And Lot had decided to go down and live in Sodom and Gomorrah rather than live with him. And it was a mess. But now that Sodom had been taken captive, the people who had taken captive Sodom had also taken Lot. And so Abram says, he's my charge. I got to go get him. I don't even want to go to war, but I got to go to war to get this kid. Ah. So he went to war. 318 men with a couple other guys who happened to be allies in the area beat up four kingdoms, brought back Everybody from Sodom and Gomorrah, all the goods, and Lot and his family. Abram realized it was such an enormous victory, something he could not have, have, have wrought on his own. He said, I got to do something. Well, there was this king who came out to meet him. It was the king of Salem. His name was Melchizedek. Interesting. Salem. Peace. King. Prince. Peace. Hmm. In the New Testament, in Hebrews, it actually says that this king of Salem, looking back, he had no genealogy, no beginning, no end. Which makes you think this is what we call in theology a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. Boy, Abram sees Melchizedek. Melchizedek comes out with bread and wine. There's so much imagery here. So much. We just took communion today. So much. Melchizedek comes out with bread and wine and looks at Abram. It says, blessed be Abram and the God of Abram most high. Why did he do that? He didn't even know Abram. But everybody knew Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah were the most wicked people on the planet at the time. Evidenced by the fact that when Abram rescued the king of Sodom, the king of Sodom said this, 
I'll make a deal with you. This is after he's rescued. I'll make a deal with you. You give me the people, and I'll give you the goods. Now, what, what bargaining place does the rescue have? I mean, we, we, you see somebody buried by an avalanche, and, and the helicopters and the dogs and everybody find the dude 10 feet under the snow. And he says, listen, I want you to know as I'm coming up, I got the rights to CNN on this. I got the rights to the book. I just want you to know you can't take them. Let's leave him in the snow just a little bit longer. <laughs> what bargaining rights does the rescued have? Abram said, I knew. I, I, they said you were like this. I, I can't believe you didn't even say thank you. You just started bargaining with me? To the victor belong all the spoils. When you've rescued a people, you not only get their stuff, you get them. Abram could have rightly said, I am your king now. But he didn't. He said, I'm not only not going to take the, take the stuff, I'm going to give you back the people as well because I don't want you to say you made Abram rich. So he gave everything back. He said, I'm only going to allow Mamre, Eshkol, and Anner, who happened to be his allies, let them take their share of what they consumed in the battle, meaning food. But everything else you can have because you will not say you made Abram rich. After that moment, after Abram gave all the spoils, which were rightly his, back to the king of Sodom, he turns to Melchizedek and it says he gave him a tenth of all. A tenth of all of what? He already gave back the stuff he should have had from the battle. A tenth of what he had. That's where we get tithing from. It wasn't mandated. He just realized there is no way I could have wrought this victory had not God helped me. And so I need to offer to, offer to him something of value. I give a tenth of everything I've got. Has God done stuff for you that you couldn't have done on your own? Has he saved you? And help me again. Why are you complaining about tithing? Help me. It's a heart issue. It's not a commandment issue. You think your stuff is your stuff. You can't, you just don't remember what God has done for you. He lets you keep 90%. Wow. What a deal. That's why we're happy. Every time the offering plate passes. Thank you, Lord. Boy, I get to give again because you've been so good to me. You've done stuff for me I could not have done on my own. And please, don't relegate 10% to being that which only the rich have. 10% is 10%. So if you got a dollar, you give a dime. Again, it doesn't have much to do with how much. It's how. It's how. Cheerfully, he says, give. You got you to make sure that you are right in your heart when you come in. You're purposed. Thirdly, there is, a, there is a grace that God provides when somebody goes according to this plan. And that grace is abundant. It is profuse in its orientation. He said, if you do this, if you give abundantly, and you give purpose, purposed, purposefully, purposed, you give with joy, that my God is able to make all grace abound to you. 
Somebody say all. Now, I don't want to insult your intelligence, but, but anything that's less than, than all is some. I'm, I just, I'm sorry. I know that was difficult. But anything that's less than all is some. And he's not talking about some grace. My God is able to make all grace. Grace is that which allows you to do what you could not do on your own and become what you could not become on your own. My God, if you give like this, cheerfully and abundantly, my God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you having sufficiency in all things, meaning the kind of grace he will provide is that you will be supplied fully so that you having sufficiency in all things may be able to still abound in every good work. So if you give like this, God will supply for you and he will supply so that you can supply for others. And do it abundantly. You will be supplied in all sufficiency so that you can provide for every good work, good work, not every work, every good work that flows across your desk. You won't have to say no when you want to say yes. That's the way my God will supply in grace. But in order to partner with that grace, you've got to give, give like this, happy and abundant. So abundantly. And lastly, here you have the, 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 the parental provision. Not only will he make sure that you're supplied, but he will make sure that you are supplied like this. He who supplies bread for food and seed for sowing. And, you, and Paul has to break this down because some people will, will mistake their seed for sowing for bread for food. And they will eat their seed that they're supposed to sow. Oh, baby, we just got a Christmas bonus. Woo! New car? Vacation to the Bahamas. Yes! Maybe. But maybe he wants you to give to the Generations campaign. Maybe he wants you to supply for the orphans in India. Africa. Maybe that seed for sowing. Maybe. Cynthia and I love to get away. We just came back from New York this week. Had a great time. Four days up there with my son. Walked all over and she spent all my money. <laughs> hey man, we enjoyed ourselves. We understand what it means to get away. I need to get away. I enjoy spending time relaxing with my bride. Any place other than here. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I, I, I just can't do it at home very well because I got too many people there. We, we've determined that we, the only way we're going to be empty nesters is if we leave. <laughs> so I love being with my bride. I get it. I get it. But make sure you understand when he gives you seed to sow. And don't eat it for food. Don't consume it. He, meaning God, he, the Father, who supplies seed for sowing and bread for food, will multiply what? He will multiply your seed for sowing. He doesn't say he's going to multiply your bread for food because he's already supplied your bread for food. And all, if he gives you just more bread for food, you're just going to get heavier. You already got what you need, bread for food. You don't need any more. You're fine. He will multiply your seed for sowing. Getting back to the point, why in the world does God want you to have more? So you can give more. Yeah. 
multiplies your seed for sowing and will multiply the seed for sowing, not just give you more, but multiply it, <laughs> so that he can increase the harvest of your righteousness. Meaning, make whatever you thought should come from the resources you're giving be even more. Greatly increase the benefit of your gift so that you produce more than you ever could if, if, it, was, if it was just you giving. Increase the harvest. Now, as I close, think about this for a minute. 5,000 people out in the wilderness. Jesus is teaching. Day three. They thought it was a 24-hour conference. <laughs> they packed a little bit more, but not much. The disciples realized these people are about to faint. There's no Chick-fil-A out here. There's no Panera Bread. There's no Starbucks. They are in trouble. Jesus, you got to send these folk away because they need some food. Jesus said, you feed them. Well, I mean, yeah, we provide. We knew that you, you know, you could go a little long. And so we always, we always had a little bit of extra because we, we've been around you long enough. And we thought it might, you know, three, four days. And so... Yeah, we got, we, but we only, five loaves, two fish. I mean, it's 5,000 people. What is our little bit? What is our little bit going to do? The issue is not how much. The issue is how. What is your little bit going to do? Oh, if it's abundant, he can make it multiply. See, abundance is not how much. If, you, if you're making 25000 a year just getting by, your abundant might be 12% of your income, even though it doesn't amount to what somebody who's making 200000 would be. That's abundant for you, Jesus, in the temple. These people giving, folks coming in with their entourage, everybody wanting to be seen. All of a sudden, this widow comes in, not wanting to be seen, lays down two mites, two copper coins, our equivalent of two cents, comes in the back door, lays it down because she does not want to be seen. She's embarrassed. This wasn't a parable. This actually happened. Jesus said, you see that widow disciples? They said, who? Because they were looking at all the people who were given that were big this widow came. She gave all she had to live on. She gave more than all of them. How, not how much. How, not how much. He will multiply your seed for sowing, increase the harvest of your righteousness. The disciples are sitting there thinking, what is my little bit going to do? I got five loaves and two fish. What does that matter? You're just going to take from me. I mean, I need lunch. They, they aren't going to do it. a crumb. What is that going to do for the rest of them? Just send them away. You feed them. Jesus takes her five loaves and two fish. And he gives thanks and he breaks it. Not much is talked about how long it took to break for 5,000 men, not to mention women and children, probably 10,000 people. How long did Jesus have to sit there and break? All day. Miracles take work. Even miracles take work. Break it. Break it. Every time he broke, he had the same amount in his hand that he had before he broke. Break, 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 break. And it was great. And the disciples just kept the strip. Where is it coming? How in the world? This is amazing. He just, I don't know how. They, and they just kept distributing, just kept distributing all day long. Until afterwards, it says this. Jesus said, now, 
Go out and pick up everything that's left over. Stuff they didn't eat. Twelve baskets full. How many disciples were there again? Each one had much more than when he started. Increase the harvest of your righteousness. God will make it. He will make what you, the little bit you got, multiplies to such a degree that it will not only be able to provide for everybody else, but you in abundance as well. Why? Not so that you can get more stuff, but so that you can give more stuff. This is how you partner with grace. You say, grace, Lord, I need it. I need it. Help me to to give and be like that. Help me to participate in this ministry like that. Now, we may not be the one you want to give to. I get it. We're an acquired taste. Black man sitting on a stool, bow tie, African-American, but not so much culturally, religiously African-American. No choir, no robes, no hooping. Yeah, got white folk, black folk, Asian folk playing guitars. Yeah. We, we just are a weird group of folks. We're just weird. We're all weird. And we're happy about our weirdness. We enjoy our weirdness. We think it's great. So we're not about changing, and we may not be your cup of tea, but if we're not, give someplace in the kingdom and be a contributing member that is faithful to build something. Be responsible before Almighty God. Let's pray.